Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Happy 2024. Thanks for joining us again today. We have a Q&A. I've got three questions. Thank you for everyone who sends in questions and for your patience waiting for answers as we get around to the Q&A sessions. I've got three today. I'll get jumping at it right away. The first one is my six-year-old son explodes when he doesn't get his way. He hits me and he gets really angry. How can I help him deal with this frustration? He knows he's not allowed to hit and he tells me that he can't stop himself when he is mad. All right, well, let's unpack this a little bit. Um, The first thing that crosses my mind is that many kids do get triggered and get angry and explosive when they don't get their way. Well, what's that about? A lot of that is actually because in their short time on this earth, kids often have an experience in the family where they mostly do get their way because we do tend to kowtow to kids. When they interrupt, when we're talking, you know, we, we let them interrupt when they demand that they don't want to eat meatloaf, that they'd rather have their chicken fingers. What do we do? We acquiesce. We don't want the fight. We give them the chicken fingers. When they say they just want one more story at bedtime, we read them one more story. Um, and if we don't, they start to get upset. So we're like, okay, okay, just one more story. They learn that they're big emotions. And by protesting, they're more likely to get their way. And when they do that enough and enough and enough, they start to actually get that entitled attitude, which is that it's my right that you read me another story. It's my right that I get the food that I want at dinner. It's my right. That's where we start to realize, uh uh-oh, you know, when we might have smoothed things over and, you know, ended a fight at one dinner table because we said, fine, let's just make the chicken fingers. But what we have done time and time again, then is to build a narrative in that child's head that that's how you get your way and that they deserve to get their way. So we've got to really get that uh, belief changed in the child and to help them understand that in the family, we want everybody to be heard. We want everybody to feel that we work together as a team, that we share decision-making together and that they're an important part of that. But we need to do those not by getting your way by protesting and demanding, but then to create a positive, constructive way uh, to get their needs met and to have their opinions taken into consideration and their choices taken into consideration. And we do that through family meetings. So I really encourage you to get family meetings started. And the beautiful thing about that is that in the moment then, when he's having his frustration, you can help then by helping him uh, feel heard by saying, this is what we call active listening or uh, responsive listening, where you restate to the child so they feel understood. You might say something like, oh boy, I see you're really angry. You really wanted to have a treat right before dinner. And I said, no, and you think you have room in your tummy for treats. You don't like our treat rule in this house, I can tell. So it doesn't mean you're saying you can have a treat, but at that moment, after saying back what they're experiencing, they feel heard, that'll help them settle some of their angry feelings. But then you can also say, let's put that down on the family agenda here. And if you have an agenda book or you keep uh, a note on the fridge, you can write it right down. Um, Say, okay, here it is, it's on the agenda. Um, We're gonna talk about when we can and can't have treats and see whether or not we can't do something that uh, everybody's more happy with. 
And so that way they start to understand that they're not going to get it by the anger route, but instead you're directing to them that it's important and um, it will be dealt with, but we're going to do it in constructive ways. I think the other things that you can do as well is something that we call, and again, this is controversial, but understand what it's about and why, and it's not the only thing you can do by any stretch of the imagination. But there is something that kids are experiential learners. And so they learn more um, by what happens than by what you say. And one way that you can make an experiential learner is to talk about this idea that uh, it's really do unto others as you would like to have done unto yourself. And that making a decision that we're not going to hit one another in the family is to everybody's benefit because people don't like to be hit. It's It makes you feel scared. It makes you feel um, a distance in the relationship and it adds conflict that we don't need. And so we need to feel safe in our home. We need to be respectful of each other. So if they continue to, to hit, you might say, well, you know, maybe we've decided that we want to try it your way, that maybe we say it's okay in our family that when we're upset that we can smack other people. Should we try that where everybody has the right, not just you, but everybody has the right that when they get upset, they can, they can hit. And so again, not doing it, not you're doing it as an experiential piece to symbolically show. Cause when the kids realize, well, hold on a second here, you know um, if I hit you, then you can like smack me back. We, you know, Dreikers, Rudolf Dreikers called it the hitting game, This, which is, again, notice the word game in there. It's meant to be a one-time thing done as a, a small teaching moment, and it has to be done calmly and with the proper intent. But usually kids get that pretty quickly, which is like, oh, well, I guess if I don't want to be the recipient, then I better not be the giver. So you can certainly try that. The other thing you can do is a consequence. You can say, we need to feel safe in our home. If you have trouble with using your hands unsafely, then maybe you need some help with that. And I can hold your hand. So again, this is just a one-time thing where if they go to hit you, you can offer that choice. Can you keep your hands calm or do I need to help you with that? And if they go to hit you a second time, just gather up their hands lovingly, but hold them together. And their immediate knee-jerk reaction will be to free their hands to pull back and then let go immediately and say ah i see you'd like to keep your hands calm and to yourself um so you're tying together freedoms and responsibilities if you'd like to have the freedom of being in control of your hands then you need to show me that we can feel safe in the house otherwise we lose that freedom and i'll just hold on to your hands for a second uh and so again it's these are just two little small experiential teaching pieces that you could try Another thing is you could try either a timeout or a reverse timeout where you say, you know, um, I'm sorry that you're angry, uh, but we need to feel safe in our house. If you'd uh, like to throw punches, then you need to do that in your bedroom. Come out, come back out to this common area of the house where we all live when you can show me that you can be here and we can all be safe together. And so, um, you know, really, it's it's a it's a timeout. Uh, and if you can't get sick, sometimes you can't get them to move. You can also say, I need to feel safe in my house and I don't feel safe around you. And you're throwing um, your arms at me like that. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Let, let me know when you're calmed down and I can come back out and that we're safe to be around each other. And so you move yourself rather than trying to move them, because sometimes it'll escalate if they're angry and if they're upset. Um, but I really think that the the trick here is to find out, um, you know, why it has come to pass that uh, 
that they're using this demanding behavior to get their way? And is there other problem solving mechanisms in, in the family? Because it'll just seem that much more reasonable to them. It's like, okay, you know what? Every week we have an opportunity to shape, to shape and change the way the family operates. And um, we don't need to get mad about it. We might need to have patience until it comes up on the agenda. But if you're doing that consistently, then you're offering up, you're substituting a more pro-social tool for getting things done in the family than just using big mood and big emotions. You might ask yourself, is there anybody else in the family that models using anger to get their way? Often parents use anger to get their way. They raise their voice at their kids. They get terse. They get kind of scary with the hopes that the child will kind of be humbled and get along doing what they're supposed to be doing. So just notice that sometimes if we model that, then, you know, they they learn. Be big, powerful, throw yourself around in a big way. So some things to consider. Hope that helps. Question number two. We have an almost seven-year-old boy that we encourage to share stories of his day at the dinner table. At times, the stories are truthful, but other times they take on a life of their own. We have, for the most part, enjoyed these imaginative stories as we think his creativity is great. However, we wonder why he doesn't simply share what really happened in his day. When these types of stories are shared, we thus far just simply say, well, that's a great story in hopes that he understands that we know it's not true. Although most times he smiles and moves on, sometimes he is adamant it is the truth, although we know it's impossible. Example, superhero flew over the school. So how far do we let it go? Is our approach appropriate? And we don't want it to become a combative discussion. We just want him to realize the difference between storytelling and a lie. Okay. Um, so... It's it's interesting. There is like a developmental piece here, um, just so you know, uh, the imagination and understanding that um, that you can tell a lie and people don't know it for kids. That is really uh, um, a, a sense of power. You know, I'm duping you and you have no way of, of knowing you are not my school. Um, you don't know if Superman went over the building. You have to know that they lie, but they're not good liars, <laughs> as, as you've seen. Um, so if we're looking for the usefulness of the behavior in this particular case, um, I think there's a couple usefulnesses or purposefulnesses of the behavior. I think he could reach the, the goal of feeling pretty good about himself, pretty powerful because he's duping adults. So he's sort of got the upper hand there. You know, when, when you're a little kid and you don't have a lot of ways of being better than an adult that, you know, that would be a good creative solution to that. I think it's also um, telling these stories and when they're exciting stories, the response that he's getting is the bright eyes of the parents. And I'm sure that it's sort of impressing them. I mean, after all, I mean, Superman flew over the school. It's very impressive. And so they get attention, they get engagement, they feel like they're impressing you. And um, so I think it's, it's sort of an inflation it's a, it, <laughs> that they enjoy about it. Uh, and so I think with those two goals in mind, I think what we want to do, again, is if you want to change children's behavior, we have to show them that they don't reach their goal through the methods that they want. We want to show them how to actually redirect that to finding it on the constructive side of life. And so certainly with the powerfulness or whatever, something else, um, we're always trying to help our kids get towards skills and mastery and independence and autonomy. So we're always kind of working on that as our kids grow. Um, but maybe what we want to do is to show other ways that he can impress without um, it, it having pulling the wool over your eyes. And so some of the ways to do that could be um, something like magic tricks, because then 
it's absolutely the the structure is about purposefully and with intent making a, a an agreement that the magician is going to dupe the audience and the audience likes that and they're impressed how did you how did you make that card disappear um so i often find these kids kind of like magic but then again they're they're not uh, it, it's done within the social constructs that are appropriate the other thing is about how do we help him to understand that talking about his day at school is good enough that he doesn't need to be bigger more impressive to have your attention to be lovable to be acceptable uh you know he's sort of keeping up with the joneses um i've had cases of that you know in uh, nursery school where the parent has come to the door and i've said oh i just congratulations i i heard you're having another baby and the parent is like, no, I'm not. And oh, well, Joshua shared a carpet time that you were having another baby. Well, Joshua made that up because somebody else at carpet time said that their mother was having a baby and they could see everyone go, oh, you're going to be a big brother. And so they uh, they also wanted to get a piece of that impressing their friends. <laughs> so, you know, we want to let them know you, you don't need to be impressing us in order to be worthy of our friendship, of our love, of our time. Uh, so I think that good enough message kind of has to come in there too. So I think that um, when it's the dinner table, you could invite him into the ploy. You could say, well, are we going to hear a, a real story about um, your day at school? Or are we going to hear one of the, your creative stories? Just so that you're being clear about that he's not duping you, because that means he's not going to reach that goal of power. Or if he starts and you can catch him and he's trying to dupe you, you could interrupt and say, you know what, I've got a better idea. If we're going to make up stories, why don't we actually play a story game? And then you could teach him some of those theater sports stories where, you know, you kind of go in a circle and say so many words like once, ah, uh, pawn, ah, uh, time. Or, you know, do you know that one? I'm, I'm, it's kind of hard in audio, but each person gets an opportunity so that you're kind of layering around. Or uh, my kids and I had a game at bedtime where they would give me three random words like they would say squirrel uh hubcap and um sticky toffee and i would have to like then take those three words and weave them into a plausible story so they would you know, try to give me words that would stump me and i'd have to make some crazy story to make those all connect so you know you could just interrupt and say like oh, i'd rather hear about your real day so we know what's going on because you are interesting enough to us just the way you are um but let's play the story game with these words so i would kind of just do like a redirection there see if see if that works And now we have number three. My two and a half year old is becoming quite defiant. She has three older sisters and we have just been putting it down to fighting for her corner. However, uh, her behavior has now become somewhat antisocial. She screams at a deafening pitch when things aren't going her way. And she has been waking at night in a fit of rage. Last night, for example, we woke at 5 a.m. I brought her to my bed and went to get her a bottle. She went into a full-on tantrum mode because I did not bring her downstairs with me. We just lay with her until it passed, which took about 10 minutes. She then drank the bottle and fell back to sleep. Perhaps we need to get back to sleep training. Any advice and on managing toddler tantrums and midnight wakings would be much appreciated. Well, yes, I would definitely say that um, um, when... Yeah, going back to the same tenet that I say over and over again is we always start before, you know, kind of coming up with our solutions and our strategies was to go back to saying, you know, why do the kids do what they do? What What's their goal? What's the usefulness? What's the, 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 the purpose of this? And you can imagine 
in uh, the nighttime case, if she said very politely, can I please sleep in your bed? You bet you're going to say no. But she has learned that if I scream and holler that you don't want to wake the other kids, that you want this ended quickly, uh, she gets a bottle, she gets your bed, you know, uh, it doesn't take long to teach a kid that that's a good strategy for getting into their parents' bed. And in fact, kids, when it comes to sleep, like adults, their REM, their sleep cycles have them kind of waking, but normally they wake and roll over and go back to sleep. We, we do wake many times in the night. But if you're a little kid and you've learned that when you wake, that you could get the company of your parent or you could get a bottle rather than rolling over and getting yourself back to sleep to which you won't remember it in the morning. They go through that that little change of sleep cycle and then they actually do wake up and uh, and she's got a benefit to waking up. So uh, there's it's being sort of reinforced. So I would definitely go back to the the sleep training. And the sleep training really means that you're going to have those nights whereby, you know, it's really about consistency, um, which is drawing a boundary about where we do and where we don't sleep. And um, I find that, um, and the research supports this, that kids that are more defiant actually do better with very solid boundaries. Um, So they're better at cold turkey, better than better than the ferberizing methods in terms of sleep training. So you're going to have to do a bit of a reset with her and just let her know, you know, we kind of let things get slack. But the truth is, at nighttime, your bed is for you. Our bed is for us. You know, if you'd like, and I've done this with lots of families, you can have a sleepover night that you put on the calendar and you can say, well, you can't call into my bed in the middle of the night. We're not going to have that anymore. Um, But uh, once a month, we're going to have a nice sleepover and then we can have PJs and popcorn and, and stories and, and make a really good night of it. But but we'll put it on the calendar. That's not something that you negotiate for every night. That's once a month. And so um, that's sort of the and then, yeah, she's going to test that limit and boundary by getting upset and screaming and crying and protesting. So you're going to have a couple of nights, but eventually she's going to come to the realization that you know you mean what you say you say what you mean and you follow through in a firm and friendly fashion and then there is no point in waking up because now you're just awakened in your room um so that is my approach i know a lot of people don't um believe in letting kids be upset and alone at night um they they worry about traumatizing the kids and unmet needs I, i respect if that's your position that you're coming from so you have to do what you are comfortable with but i can tell you from a psychological point of view the negative repercussions from having a kid screaming and demanding and getting in your bed and out of your bed and uh and carrying on and this going on for weeks is far more difficult on a child than fast swift um being clear with boundaries that is that is healthy parenting and not every expression of being upset that you didn't get your way is is uh uh, an emotion that a child can't handle. So uh, not when it's in the context of just the regular order of of social living anyway. So that's my thoughts on that. You can decide what feels comfortable for you, of course. Um, and then in terms of like, you know, the the deafening screams, I, that's a that's a tough one. And again, I, I don't know if you've um, caught up with any of my other podcasts, but I often use the example that um, parents who are deaf uh, have children who don't scream or whine because they can't hear those things. So those can't be useful methods of irritating your parents or, or getting your way because they can't hear what the child is doing. 
So those kids tend to, to vibrate things and bang things so that there's vibrations that annoy their parents. Um, so it's, we tend to, when a kid screams, we tend to say, shh, you're hurting my ears or not so loud. And they realize, wow, they, there's nothing that this person can do to get me to stop screaming. I'm completely in control of my own voice. And the louder I get and the more I refuse and get louder and louder, the more I upset them and um, the more powerful that I feel. So it's a tough thing because they've also got siblings there and siblings tend to react too. And we really need to kind of work all together to say that we're all going to just, you know, address what she's complaining about, um, but we're not going to give any verbal, facial or physical response to the screaming. So you have to like act, fake it till you make it. You need to act as if you don't actually hear her. Uh, and then you can respond to what she's saying. Not not saying that, but I, I don't want the scream to be something that makes you cringe, um, that gets the reminder. Drop all of that. Drop all of that. Um, but you got to get the siblings to to agree with it as well, which is kind of hard. Um, the other thing is you could give her permission to scream. Um uh, because again, if they're trying to do it out of defiance, when you give them permission, then it doesn't feel there's no defiance, right? So it's like, oh, it sounds like you really want to scream and let us know you're upset. You know, take the floor, take the floor, go ahead, let her out, let her out. Let us hear, let us hear how upset you are. And uh, because you're condoning it, it doesn't have that same gritty defiance piece to it. But again, you, you can't do it in a way that's sarcastic. You, you know, you got to really watch your tone with these things. Um, you know, I'm giving you some of this advice that really has to be done properly. Um, so think about it from the child's perspective. You're not you're not shaming them. You're not humiliating them. So you really have to just stay in the right that, that you're condoning. You're saying it's OK. This is a this is a place you can do that. That's you know, and if you don't have that as your intention, then it's going to backfire. and It's not going to be nice. So uh, think about whether or not you can um, pull that off in your own in your own makeup uh, or otherwise abandon that, uh, uh, that approach. And then the other thing is again, just sort of um, consequences. You know, if you'd like to be with other people, then we need to use our regular inside voice. If we have trouble with that, then, you know, we need to um, go outside. That's a good place for bigger sounds. You could escort her outside or take her gently by the hand and say, here's a good place for, for um, being loud try that. But mostly I want to, again, I'm more into the prevention. I'm more into the what happens right before she starts to scream and how do we solve for that problem? And again, I hate to be sounding like a broken record here, but chances are there's some theme of something that happens over and over and over again. And if that's something that can be solved, then she can, again, show her, you know, how things operate in this family so that we can get our way without having to resort to these behavioral tactics and um, and that goes back to the family meetings. So if she's screaming because her sister took her toy, then we put on, OK, you know what? We're going to put that on the agenda. People aren't sharing toys in a way that people feel is fair or, or respectful. Um, let's talk about that. And, and then we can because then see, once you have a family meeting rule, you say, OK, for one week, we're going to agree that people are going to play with their own toys in their room and only toys they share are in the playroom. Let's just as an example or whatever. And then if somebody doesn't comply with the agreement, then you can step in and say, hey, you know what? We made an agreement. So now the child feels like they're, they've got some backing. You're enforcing what the family rules are. And you can say, if we didn't like the rules this week, don't worry. Our next meeting is on Sunday or whatever. And we can revisit this and we can tweak it and, or try a different agreement if this isn't something that's working for you. But for this week, we said we would try it. And so then I would, I would enforce whatever was agreed. 
Um, and maybe that's uh, going to make her feel a little empowered, like you've got her back. If that's uh, if if she's the youngest and her sisters are maybe pulling fast ones on her. Um, okay, so I hope that's helpful. <laughs> Thank you all for the questions. Here's to a great 2024. Keep sending in those questions and happy parenting. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. 